Imagine you're in a foreign city where you don't belong. It's the 6th century B.C. And you're in Babylon with Daniel and Isaiah. It's a rather festive day. As you are captive in this city, you are forced with the rest of the citizens to watch this amazing parade, the parade of the gods. Now, the city is filled with excitement. The parade is going to have banners and bands and floats and everything to make it a grand occasion. And as a captive, there you stand, forced to watch. The parade, the, the parade proceeds through uh, the gate of Ishtar, the goddess of love, and winds its way through the streets to the center of the city where the main temple exists. Thousands are lining every road. And for them it's an exciting time and for you it's a time of mockery and shame. The gods are pulled by carts. Beasts of burden pull them. And some are carried by people. There is the god Bel Marduk. He actually is an old Canaanite god. Marduk means Lord. And Bel is one of those gods that is the chief god. Marduk means the chief above every other god. In fact, the last king of Babylon is given that particular name, Bel Shazar. There's another god, Nebo, who is the son of Marduk. He is the god of agriculture or learning. And one of the most famous kings in all of Babylon is called Nebuchadnezzar. And here they are with the parades of gods, grand and impressive and stirring to some and rebuking to others. But what I want you to know is that the gods proceeding through the city of Babylon were taken from the Israelites in captivity. And now to their shame are being put on display. Isaiah sees this before it happens. And both Isaiah and Daniel will experience the captivity in Babylon. They were told to make songs, but their heart had no song as they wept. And they thought of their homeland and perhaps the opportunity to return. But today was a day of mourning and shame. They were there because of their rebellion. They were there because they were defeated by the Babylonians whom God allowed to defeat his wicked people. And as they watched the parade... They were once again reminded that these gods that they had been serving, now carried by beasts and man, were gods they had exchanged for Jehovah himself. As you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 46, in verse 5, God calls out people to compare the two. To whom will you compare me, Jehovah says? Who do you count as my equal? Tell me, 
who do you think I resemble so that we could be compared? It is interesting when God calls us to do some comparative shopping. Now, that's a new term that is very popular nowadays where consumers will go to websites uh, to see if they might be able to find the best deal, the best value. It's comparative shopping, I'm told, and I know little about this, but sometimes it's called the comparative shopping agent or shop bot, whatever that is. And as you go to the internet, you are able to bring up, let's say, a car. And you have the features of the car and the price of the car and reviews about the car. And now you can buy almost anything online as you do your comparative shopping. And you make your choice based on the best deal. And God says, all right, let's compare the choice you've made with reality. It's interesting that Isaiah chapter 46 is divided into two major sections where twice the comparisons are made between the useless gods of this world and the great God of the universe. So he starts out in verse 1 with the useless idols of this world. And here is the parade, verse 1. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden, images that are carried about. They're burdensome. They're a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down, Unable to rescue the burden and to prove it, these very idols themselves will be taken into captivity. Now, as an, an idol is anything you worship, anything that you're devoted to, anything you love. Time is a good definition of love, and what you spend your time doing is what you really love. You say, well, I don't spend my time doing anything. You must really love yourself. Because you're not willing to get yourself up and do anything productive. Time is a good definition of love. And these idols indeed are useless. Notice the description. And by the way, this first description is kind of an obvious comparison of their main or basic features. And these useless idols are bent low because they're carrying a great burden. They must be carried. And that's the image that goes throughout this chapter, the same idea that is, uh, is going to be magnified by what they saw in the parade. They cannot rescue, verse 2. They don't lift your load, they add to it. And finally, these are the gods that Israel has chosen because they were taken into captivity. And although they, I think they preceded them to Babylon, it was in mockery that they said to Hebrew people, here are your gods who did no good in keeping you from being taken away. And you think about the gods of this world. Fame. Self. Pleasure. Lust, things. There's a whole list of idols that we have bowed down to, hoping that they will give us life, but all they do is add to your burden. 
It's pretty obvious as you stand there watching them paraded before you. Then the comparison shifts to the matchless God of the universe in verse 3 and 4. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob and all the remnant of the people of Israel. You whom I have upheld since your birth and carried you since you were born, even to old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you, and I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. And again, this is an obvious list when you think about what Israel had experienced by the powerful and gracious hand of Yahweh. I made you. We are creatures of God. And by way of being his creation, he has first right to us. He owns us. And when you study the design of creation, you'll find out that he had good plans for us until we rebelled. But I made you. And I will sustain you, mentioned twice. Or perhaps three times if verse 3, I have upheld you, is giving the same concept. God will sustain you. He sustained the Israelites through all of their torturous wilderness wandering. He sustained them in their battles that they came into the new land. And for all of this, they turned to the gods of the Canaanites, Baal, who later became Bel. And Nebo. Isn't it interesting? I have carried you. You must carry your idols, but Jehovah carries you. There's the big difference in comparison, right? How, of, how many of us need to be carried sometimes? Wow. If I asked you to raise your hands, I'm sure most of you would put them up. I'm sure some of you would not, because you think you can do it yourself. And the gods you've chosen, you can handle until one day, one day, your gods cause you to be captive by another. And then you cry out for help, and there's no one to answer. I have carried you since your birth. Some translations have conception, which gives an interesting insight into when does human life begin. I have carried you from in the womb and your birth until old age and gray hair. Now, some of us turn prematurely gray. <laughs> I'm not one of them, but some people do. But the point is, from the time you're born until the end of your life, I'm going to be there, God says. And these other gods, they don't even exist. And notice, the useless gods of this world cannot rescue, but the matchless God of the universe can. I will rescue you. And he ends up the chapter on a theme of great deliverance. So just compare. After that first round of the comparison of the obvious, he goes a little deeper into the comparison of origins and actual ability. He calls for the comparison in verse 5, and now he goes through it again. 
So here in verse 6, the useless gods of the world, some pour out gold from their bags and weigh it out, weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith or a craftsman to, to make it into a god. And then they bow down and worship it. Man made gods. The creation of our minds. And whatever has its origin in the mind of man connected with true religion always equals false religion. The concepts of religion created in the mind of man are always, always useless and end up in damnation. Because there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof, those are the ways of death. And we think we've got it figured out, and we think we can fashion our God any way we want to please ourselves. After all, we are looking to satisfy our personal desires, and this car doesn't quite fit me. I don't just want transportation, I want to go in style. And as they compare and shop, this one suits me best. So they choose a God that suits them best and lets them down and only makes things worse. You ever purchased a car that was a lemon? Have you ever chosen a God that was useless? They're impotent. That's verse 7. You lift them on your shoulders. If this wasn't so tragic, it'd be comical. They carry it. They set it in its place. There it stands. And from that spot, it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save from their troubles. It cannot. It cannot. It cannot. My friend, this world cannot satisfy the regenerate heart. We're in this world to reform this world by the transforming grace of God. We're not in this world to love this world because it's passing away. Pastor Doug read from Psalm 115 a moment ago and the comparison is there. In fact, I think Isaiah might be using that as his sermon text. As he goes through a comparison that Jehovah made us. and These idols you speak to and they cannot hear. They cannot talk. They cannot move. They cannot save. And then one more comparison. Speaking about origins and ability. The matchless God of the universe. This is verse 8. Remember this and keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. <laughs> Isaiah's talking to a nation just before they're taken into captivity and they've been rebelling against the God of heaven. Remember the former things of old, of long ago? I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 5, there is no equal. And I resemble no one else. 
I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. And I say, I will do my pleasure. My purpose will stand. I will do all that I please to do. From the east, I will summon a bird of prey. That's actually Nebuchadnezzar. Because we find out in the next phrase, from a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. Nebuchadnezzar, a heathen king, was God's instrument to rebuke his people. Get the picture? Now, Nebuchadnezzar, I think, is going to be converted, which is an amazing thing as you read the book of Daniel. Some don't think he actually is converted. I believe he was by the testimony of Daniel and by the grace of God. But he uses Nebuchadnezzar to take his people into captivity and to fulfill my purpose. What is the purpose of God? Lazy question. Because the purpose of God has multiple facets to it. I mean, ultimately, he is going to be glorified. His purpose is to glorify his name. But the purpose of God one day may be to save, and the other day may be to discipline. To teach by grace or to teach by trials. But my purpose will stand. What I have said, I will bring about. And what I have planned, I will do. So notice that God is unique in person. There's no one like him. He is clear in his purpose. Read through the book of the Bible and the purposes of God are amazing. And they're not that difficult to understand. That in this world we are going to have tribulation and we're going to be facing situation that will, situations that will confound us and stretch us but he is still God, and his purpose will never change. It may not be what we want for the moment, but it will be what he plans for eternity. And every work of man, the heart of the king is in the hand of God like the rivers of water. He takes it wherever he wants to go. And waters rarely run straight. There's a lot of bends in the. But God's purpose is clear. He declared it in the book of Genesis, even with chapter 3, that the seed of the woman is going to conquer the serpent and his seed. All the way to the book of the Revelation, where the lion of the tribe of Judah... The root of David, the bright and morning star, the Alpha and Omega, Jesus Christ reigns supreme on the throne. And this world is never going to be perfect until that happens. Oh, Jesus will come and reign on the world, but there will still be those who rebel. That's his plan. And his plan is based on his pleasure. Now, this might seem rather capricious that God just at a whim decides I think I'll do this no no God's plan is perfect God's plan is wise but it's based on what he knows to be best it's based on his pleasure I love Psalm 115 verse 3 actually the, the first verses say where is your God in mockery in verse 
3 says, our God is in the heaven. Heavens, he does whatever he pleases. Right? His position is exalted and his pleasure will be fulfilled. And it's proven by his performance. What I planned, I will do. Look back in your history, Israel. Did I not plan you to deliver, plan to deliver you from Egypt? Did I not plan to take you through the wilderness? Did I not plan to give you that land? Have I not said through Isaiah you're going into captivity? And have I not said through Isaiah you're going to come back and I will deliver you? Providence. It's the wise ruling of God over the affairs of men. It includes individuals and nations and events. He's sovereign over them all. So when what we want may not happen in this world, I simply want you to know that God is still on his throne and he hasn't changed and he's able to rescue and sustain us just like he has and as he promised he will. Ye servants of God, your master proclaim and publish abroad his wonderful name. That name, all victorious of Jesus extolled. His kingdom is glorious. The last part says, he rules over all. And that's what you and I need to be reminded of in this crazy, chaotic world. He said, I have carried you and I will carry you. What he has sovereignly planned, he in time powerfully and perfectly performed. This is a bad time to change gods. Actually, any time is a bad time to change gods. But this is a bad time. Our God in heaven, who does whatever he pleases, is he as frazzled as you are right now? See him panic? If he were, we would be in big trouble. But he's not. There is a perfect tranquility that rests in the mind of God that we can't comprehend. It's shalom to the perfect degree. And you and I don't have that same peace because we often are looking at this world instead of looking at our sovereign God. So verse 12 says, listen. Listen to me, you stubborn stubborn-hearted, which is like the rebels of verse 8. You who are now far from righteousness because you're rebelling against me, talking to Israel, I am bringing my righteousness near and it's not far away. And my salvation will not be delayed and I will grant salvation to Zion and my splendor to Israel. I said I would rescue you and here's my promise. And God did. Now the human years, based in that word near, are going to be well over 70. 
God's timetable is not yours. Have you learned that yet? Then why are you so frustrated? Oh, I get the same way too. A thousand human years is like a day with God. I'll see you tomorrow, we say to our friends. And God says, I'll do it soon. But we have got to learn to wait upon the one who knows what is best. Now is not a good time to give up on God. So you've got the word listen in verse 1 and 3, and the word, or 3 and 12, excuse me, and the word remember in verse 8 and 9. Remember this comparison and keep it in mind. We have done our comparative shopping for a God. And there is no comparison. And when you choose to follow the Lord, that means to follow him in the high days and in the low times. In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of God are never more relevant and powerful than in times of trouble and despair. But we have to keep our eyes on him. We have to listen to his word. We have to remember who he is and not go on our senses, not on our reason, but his revelation. You know, those who fly planes must learn to trust their instruments. It is an objective reference outside of themselves. But that's not an easy thing to do, I'm told. Because a pilot has a sense of where he might be, a sense of whether he's on his side or flying level with the horizon, even if he can't see it. He's got that sense. But the instruments are there to correct his senses when they are totally wrong. When I first became a Christian, I can remember being huddled in a small room, this is in the 1960s, where a moody science film was being played that must have been fairly new at that time. And this particular movie was called Signposts Aloft. It was the story of the Lady Be Good, which was a B-24 bomber in World War II. Some of you vets and historians might remember the story. There were nine men on their first combat mission that actually was somewhere in Italy, and they were coming back to their base in Benghazi, Libya. Isn't that interesting? Target, Italy, home base, Libya. But as they were flying back, and it requires many hours across the Mediterranean Sea, their instruments told them that they were home. They were over their base, but they had arrived there hours before they were supposed to. So logic said the instruments must be wrong. So they ignored them and kept flying. They never returned. Many thought they went down in the sea. Sixteen years later, a British geologist notices the wreckage in the Libyan desert. So this is 1958. 
The following year, in March of 1959, a ground team went out and examined the wreckage. And yes, it was. The lady be good. It had flown 442 miles past their home base into the middle of the desert and crashed. The men parachuted out. One parachute didn't open. They had to live in temperatures of 135 to 140 degrees in the desert, and they began to walk from the wreckage to try to find safety. Five individuals walked about 78 miles, and someone walked 104 miles, eight days according to their diary. One body was never found. And what went wrong? Their instruments, when the wreckage was found, were operative. They were fine. And the indication given to them when they were flying was spot on. But apparently there was a strong tailwind that moved them much faster than they thought they were flying. So they arrived at their destination hours before they should have. And instead of listening to their instruments, they relied on their logic and died. Many safety measures have been put in place since then. But the principle has never changed. You need a reference, objective reference outside of you to rely on because you can be fooled by your own perceptions. There's nothing that rings truer than this. Mankind, there's a way that seems right to us, but it's the way of death. Jesus has given us the way of life. God sits on his throne, and we must learn to listen to what he says and remember who he is and not change our gods, but trust. 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 The alternative is to die. Now is the time for true believers to be filled with confidence that our God lives. Let's pray. Father, this is a message I need today because it is easy for me to take my eyes off of you. And everything around me in this world seems so crazy. But Heavenly Father, you've never changed. Not in person, not in purpose. And your promises are always, always, always fulfilled. And I have a choice today to rely on my own senses, which have proven wrong so many times, or to rely on you, who is trustworthy and always right. 